As America ends one endless war, it seems as though they are about to enter into a second, much larger war. At the same time, they are doing the faithful job at destroying trust with their allies across the globe. Also on today's show, we talk about how the woke are eating their own. Hey, it's Lucas Scrobot, and you're listening to The Lucas Scrobot Show, where we uncover purpose, pursue truth, and own the future. Episode 257, September 15th, 2021. President Joe Biden is about to make an announcement in a couple hours. Sadly, we're not going to be able to cover it on today's show, but on the next episode, we I'm sure it's going to be a juicy one. This announcement that he's about to make, we're going to be covering it right around in the middle of the show, what what the the announcement is likely to be. And it really is tying into everything that has been happening in the in the Middle East, in the globe. And I was talking to to uh, someone today, a longtime listener of the show. Him and I were exchanging some messages back and forth. And he was saying, I don't think people realize how strategic Afghanistan is in the world and how important it is and how the things that are happening right now in Afghanistan over the last month and will continue to happen as the the year goes on and into 2022, et cetera. We do not realize the significance of this moment. I believe years from now, we will look back and we will grasp and understand what what we have just gone through and will be going through in the next number of years when it comes to a, a change of the epochs of the globe. So an epoch, it is the, it's a time, it's a season, and we are undergoing a change of the epochs of history. And I mean, that you don't need to have a PhD to understand that. Everyone can look at the globe and see what is happening since 2020 with the, the Ronas running around all over the place, all the moos and the deltas and the alphas and the betas and the gammas and I don't know whatever, you know, little hashtag signs they have going on for it. But it doesn't take a, a genius to understand what is happening in the world. But we are going through a, a transition, a change of the times and seasons. And what has happened in Afghanistan really is playing into that. Well, the, the, the story of Afghanistan has not ended. We have a couple short, couple couple clips from former President Donald Trump about what's happened in Afghanistan. Uh, I found this incredible interview of him from Full Measure. But before we get into that, the UN has been denying asylum and refugee status to Afghans who have fled the country without a passport. Now, there have been I, I've heard these reports and, and people, many people in Afghanistan, they don't have passports. And we've covered on the show how there was one passport office that before the fall of Kabul, the line was out the door for hundreds and hundreds of people. One guy trying to process all these passports. Many people don't have passports. They can't get out of the country. Well, the UN. Under the, their own Gen Geneva Refugee Convention, the UNHCR, quote unquote, ensures, this is a quote, ensures the basic human right of vulnerable persons and ensures 
that refugees will not be involuntarily returned to a country where they face persecution. So here are hundreds of people, thousands of people who have fled Afghanistan across land borders, at times walking three, four days without, without passports to cross mountains, to cross through jungles, to get to places like Iran or like Pakistan. But they go to the UN office to apply for asylum because they don't have a passport. They only have their national ID card. They go to apply for asylum. And what happens? They get turned away and they say, sorry, we can't give you asylum because you don't have a passport. And therefore, where are you going to go? You got to go all the way back to where you came from, being forcibly returned because they're unable to get asylum in the UN. The U. The UN is filled. It is just a, it's a cesspool. It's a cesspool. <laughs> I like that word. It, it really is though. It is, it, it is an apparatus set up for global control. And from top to bottom, it is just, it, everything that I've heard, everything that I see, it just reeks of corruption. And the fact that the UN wouldn't be giving vulnerable Afghans who are fleeing for their lives without passports, refugee status, it, it points to something much larger going on. And, you know, the skeptic in me, the conspiracy theorist in me would say, well, there, there's probably a directive. There's probably a link somewhere. Uh, and whether it is, I don't know, I don't know who, what powers would want this to happen. But someone somewhere, it seems, doesn't want these refugees being able to leave Afghanistan. They want to keep them in Afghanistan under the, the Taliban rule. And more reports, again, are coming out that the Taliban are going and knocking door to door in many districts in Kabul and across uh, many provinces in Afghanistan looking for uh, former police officers, former government officers. Searching and, and finding those who, who have betrayed, in their, in their mind, betrayed their people, betrayed the, the Taliban government. I saw a, a horrendous, a horrendous video today of, of a man being stoned in Afghanistan. Hundreds of people surrounding this man as he's kneeling and, and then throwing Stones, stone after stone after stone. This is, this is what people are fleeing in Afghanistan. Now, uh, of course, I, I've, I've heard the, the salty remarks of, of many a conservative commentator about uh, refugees coming into America, these Afghan refugees coming into America. And their arguments are, you know, first, who are these people? We don't even know if they've been properly cleared. Okay, that's a valid point. Second point they make, Oh, we already have so much homeless in America. Why don't we? Why can't we take care of the homeless? Homeless. We we're not taking care of them. Okay. Yeah, that's a valid point. We should probably take care of the homeless people too. And there are programs in America that are taking care of homeless people. This isn't a show about America so much. So I'm not going to dive deep into all of those issues that we have as as a country. The point that I am making is that the the situation. 
that people are fleeing in Afghanistan is a situation where they will be stoned to death for their their religious minority, their ethnic minority, for their relationships with the government. And and there's a growing sources have reported to me that there is a growing sediment of anger towards the West by those who were pretty moderate before because of the deep betrayal and abandonment that has happened in Saudi in in Afghanistan. The deep betrayal, the deep abandonment. And it's going to boil over and it's going to turn against those immediately in the country who worked with the West. And it is already happening. It is beginning to happen. This is what people are fleeing. And here is the UN not even living up to their own mandate by uh, essentially allowing people to be forcibly returned back to Afghanistan. As even those Afghans in the surrounding nations who have had existing visas, Afghans in Tajikistan and Uzbekistan, reports are coming that these nations will not be renewing their visas. So what, what is to be done? Well, they will have to either find asylum in some other nation across the globe, or they will be returned to Afghanistan as well. It is, it, I mean, saying that it's not a good deal falls short. Here's former President Trump, Donald Trump, saying what, what I feel in, my, in the deepest of parts of my heart. I think it's the most embarrassing event in the history of our country. It is the, it is, you know what? It is one of the most, probably the most embarrassing event in the history of our country. It is unspeakable, the things that has happened, the the things that we are seeing. Here's another clip by Trump that really expresses my heart to, to the full measure. It's the most incompetently handled thing. We had that in such good control. Yeah. Incompetent. Incompetent. Well, on top of all of this incompetence, you may have heard that the U.S. military left billions, billions and billions and billions. I don't have that. I don't have that Trump clip on me right now. Billions of dollars of of U.S. military equipment behind in Afghanistan. Here, here's, here's President Donald Trump. Billions and billions and billions <laughs> and billions and billions and billions and billions. Oh, we don't know how many billions and billions, but he left a lot. We, we left a lot of military equipment. It's, the numbers are staggering. The number of Blackhawks, the, the number of guns, everything that it's creating has given the Taliban, an army that would rival most other armies across the globe. But it's not only these, this military equipment, all these Humvees, hundreds of Humvees that were left behind, maybe even in thousands. I don't, I don't have the numbers in front of me. They're not staying in Afghanistan. They're going other places. Where are they going? Ah, Iran, we already mentioned. There were, there were pictures of envoys of Humvees being driven down into Iran. 
going into China, going into Russia. Here's President Donald Trump uh, mentioning just this on this interview by full measure. We should have saved those 13 people plus 200 people, and we should have taken out all our equipment, everything. And I said, I want every bolt, I want every screw, I want every nail, I want everything. I want those tanks. They're all over the place. And maybe you have to go back and get it. Uh, Now I'm saying, how can they take this equipment? And I guarantee that China and Russia already have our Apache helicopters. And they're, yep. uh, they're taking them apart to find out exactly how they're made. They're the best in the world by far. And they're taking them apart so they can make the exact same equipment. They're very good at that. It's a disgrace. It is a disgrace. And they, for sure, for sure, they are taking these, these Humvees, these Black Hawk helicopters. They're disassembling and reverse engineering everything that has been left behind. This is, this is a, a shocking monumental moment in global history, in military history. I'm I'm sure people are going to write about this just as we read in history books of how the great empires of old fell because of overextending or making rash decisions to to pull back as they did. I read a headline today saying that, that Blinken and other military advisors advised President Joe Biden to do a slow and steady withdrawal out of Afghanistan, but instead he decided to, nope, August 31st, we are all out. This is, this not only has, but will continue to hurt relationships with our allies as our allies within the region are looking at the chaos that has happened in Kabul. And they have already, already decided that, mm, We need to safeguard ourselves in the instance, in the the likely case that we too are abandoned by the United States when it no longer suits or fits their interests. And this is exactly what is already happening even this week. Headlines are coming out reporting that the U.S. has removed its most advanced missile defense system and Patriot batteries from Saudi Arabia, one of the, the biggest allies, and as it's now being retermed, the quote-unquote security partners in the Middle East, which uh, Saudi Arabia being such a, a power balance in the Middle East, bringing so much stability to the Middle East. America is now pulling their batteries, pulling their Patriot missiles, even as Saudi Arabia is currently facing air attacks from the Yemen Houthis and from via a proxy war from Iran. Here is uh, the World is One News uh, reporting on just these uh, attacks where the, the timing is, is strange in that there's, there is so much unbalance in the region. Why would you continue to withdraw troops? But it seems to be pointing to the to something much greater that is happening beneath the surface in the world today. And we, we mentioned that, touched on that in the, a little earlier in the episode. But here's The World is One News. The withdrawal of U.S. defense equipment from Saudi Arabia comes just as a Houthi drone attack wounded eight people and damaged a commercial jetliner at the kingdom's airport in Abba. 
The kingdom has been locked in a stalemate war with the Houthis since March 2015. The Prince Sultan Air Base, some 115 kilometers southeast of Riyadh, has hosted several thousand U.S. troops since the 2019 missile and drone attack on the heart of the kingdom's oil production. That attack, though claimed by Yemen's Houthi rebels, appears instead to have been carried out by Iran, according to experts and physical debris left behind. It wouldn't surprise me if the the shift that we're seeing right now in the Middle East has a lot to do with President Joe Biden's position and stance on where he sees or where I don't know if you would see them as allies, but where it would seem that he would lay his chips more as when he was vice president. You remember the Iran deal. All the way back that I believe fell apart in 2005, reviving the 2015 nuclear deal in Iran that Biden headed up, giving, giving Iran billions of dollars to develop nuclear weapons, which drastically hurt our relations, our, our U.S. relations in the Middle East as Iran is, is waging a war with Saudi Arabia via Yemen, via the Houthis. So it wouldn't surprise me if this is a change in policy in part by the Biden administration moving away from really our our U.S. allies in the region, the West's allies in the region, and moving towards a new set of allies, which would be Iran, which, again, maybe this is conspiracy, but it would seem that the events that unfolded and the just complete abandonment of Afghanistan really plays into giving power to a whole nother set of, of, of world powers, which would be Iran, Russia, and China, giving that, that power balance back to them, which may that, may that just may not be true. That may not be accurate. And the reason that may not be accurate might just not be Biden handing everything over to China on a silver platter, even though it was handed over, that might not have been his expressed intent as there's more people than just Biden that are making decisions in this, in the decisions that are happening within the military. But back to Saudi Arabia, they are in a a proxy war and a power balance between Iran, especially with the, the proxy war in Yemen. It doesn't seem to be a great time, especially on the heels of the abandonment of Kabul. What, the, what it's communicating is distrust. Here is a, another clip from that same segment of WION News. Analysts believe America's Gulf allies are bound to be worried. Christian Ulrichsen, a research fellow at Rice University, says, quote, the perception is very clear that the U.S. is not as committed to the Gulf as it used to be. In the views of many people in decision-making authority in the region, from the Saudi point of view, they now see Obama, Trump and Biden, three successive presidents, taking decisions that signify to some extent an abandonment, unquote. Everyone has been quoting this Christian Coates Ulrichson. Uh, and I, I found a piece that he just wrote for Al Jazeera. And I'm going to read some segments from his article as 
he lays it out pretty straight. He lays it out pretty flat. The, the impression that the, the powers in the Middle East are getting, the fears that they have about the, the, the change of what it seems to be the change of commitment and the change of policy of U.S. foreign policy towards the Middle East. He writes, again, this is a couple different segments from this article in Al Jazeera that he wrote. In Saudi's eyes, the perceived U.S. abandonment of the Egyptian president Husseini Mubarak, a long-standing regional partner to the Arab Spring, the willingness of the Obama administration to engage with Islamic groups the Saudis viewed as a threat, and the subsequent revelation of the secret U.S. dialogues with Iran in 2012 and 2013 were rather greater concern than the fallout of 9-11. So there's been a, a history here. Going back to 2012-13, when we saw, and even before, in the Arab Spring, America abandoned President Hosni in the Arab Spring, abandoned, and, and, and started having secret talks with Iran, their enemy, in 2012-13, started this Iran deal. And it's greatly damaged the relationships within the region. It goes on. To an extent, this is a repeat of the perceived abandonment of their interests by the Obama administration, but with greater substance this time around, especially after Trump did not only, or after Trump not only did not respond to the Iranian-linked attack on the Saudi oil facilities in 2019, but also made a point of distinguishing between Saudi and U.S. interests. So this is when th that attack that we just heard from WION of the, the drone attack, attack on the Saudi oil fields, America did not respond. They said, that's Saudi's interest. That's not our interest. We are not going to interfere, which a lot of people are probably glad about. They don't want to see America further interfering or further overextending themselves than they need to, but it's also a sign to the powers here in the Middle East that mm, there's a shift. There's a shift in our relationship going on, and America is thinking differently about the relationships within the Middle East, including President Donald Trump, who I will say he sided far more with the Saudis and with the, the Gulf countries than with Iran versus. President Biden and President Obama. So there is a big difference, but he has a great point here that even President Donald Trump had a shift in some of the ways that he saw America engaging with the rest of the world, especially engaging with the Middle East. He goes on to write, this came as a shock to the leadership in Riyadh and Abu Dhabi, which had long assumed that their U.S. interests in regional security were one and the same, especially on any issue that had to do with Iran, as they had done when commencing military operations, as they had done when commencing military operations in Yemen in 2015. Excuse me. Such measures were deemed necessary in the wake of the chaotic U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan and the widespread assum assumption in Riyadh and elsewhere in the region that the U.S. is in retreat from the Middle East. Here is, here is the, the, if you have not been listening, tune your ears 
back in and listen to the sentence here. Sure enough, the crown prince's brother and deputy defense minister Khalid bin Salman signed a military cooperation agreement with Russia within days of the fall of Kabul. Within days. The fall of Kabul is not just the fall of Kabul in Afghanistan. It is a a sign to the the leaders of the Arab world that America is no longer engaging and viewing their relationships, their ties with the Arab world as they once did. This is a this is a massive shift of epoch of policy for America uh, moving forward. Here is a, a clip, a clip from uh, Turkey El Faisal, who is the Saudi prince, a Saudi prince, the the kingdom's former intelligence chief, who's whose really view often is on track and mirrors what the the Saudi family is thinking and feeling. He did this interview with CNBC about America pulling out their batteries from Saudi Arabia at this time. I think we need to be reassured about American commitment. What does that look like? That looks like, for example, not withdrawing Patriot missiles from Saudi Arabia. Ouch. uh, At the time when Saudi Arabia is the victim of missile attacks and drone attacks, not just from the Yemen, but from Iran. Um, I think that was not indicative of of America's declared intention uh, to help Saudi Arabia defend itself against outside enemies. That is what I would expect America, hopefully, to come back and and tell us that, yes, we are committed to you and we will deploy whatever is needed for that. Um, You know, the kingdom had to to seek other uh, support in that. Russia? To to bolster our air defenses against these attacks from Iran and from from the, the, the Houthis in Yemen. Um, we, we would have preferred that, that it would be America who would be doing that than, than others. Uh, and that is something I think that the, the administration has to, to, to consider seriously now, especially after Afghanistan mm. and what happened and what is happening in, in, in Kabul. And it's not just Saudi Arabia. Yani. It, it's the other Gulf states who are equally vulnerable. We've seen attacks on tankers in, in the Gulf uh, by Iran. Um, and yet nothing comes in response from, from, from America. This is a problem. Uh, now, whether the Biden administration will come through with that, I, I have no idea. But it is something I think that they should consider. Just to reassure us that we can rely on the United States. Everything that he's saying here is we need assurances. We need assurances that we can rely on the United States. And then in the same breath, he's saying we don't have assurances. When our oil tankers are tanked, it doesn't seem like there's any response from the United States. When we are in a time of need, they are, they are pulling out support. Now, the U.S. government has said we are maintaining strong ties. We're maintaining a strong relationship. We're maintaining troops on the ground. But this erosion that's happening right now in Saudi of the pulling out of these batteries, it is not just an erosion of military presence, but is an erosion of trust. 
and it is causing deep-seated doubt to, to begin to grow in the wondering of, will America, will America back their allies? Well, you have to ask, I have been asking, if America, as Joe Biden, President Joe Biden, has said, is he made multiple statements saying how we, we need to focus elsewhere in the world. We need to change our, our focus away from the war of Afghanistan into other growing threats. And then he would you know, mention al-Shabaab and all, all these other terrorist organizations. But when they're now pulling out more, more military assets out of, a, uh, out of the Middle East, you have to wonder, where are they turning to? What, what new threat is coming that it was so urgent to pull troops out by the 31st, which I don't think there was any threat that was so urgent that they needed to just totally abandon Afghanistan as they did. But it's clear that there's something else that's brewing. Here is a final clip from The World is One. Questions arise. Why has the U.S. pulled out its weapon system from Saudi Arabia at this sensitive time? Great question. And has the U.S. shifted its focus from the Gulf to Asia? Aha. The U.S. move isn't unexpected. Earlier this year, the Pentagon had said that certain defense systems may be pulled out from the Middle East. Gulf Arab nations worry about America's future plans as its military perceives a growing threat in Asia that requires those missile defenses. A redeployment of the missiles had been rumored for months, in part due to a desire to face what American officials see as the looming great powers conflict with China and Russia. U.S. claims it hasn't abandoned its Gulf allies. So it's good that the U.S. claimed that it hasn't abandoned its Gulf allies. And it's clear that they are focusing on what they see to be a greater threat, which would be China. China, and, and there's, you know, the quad, we've talked about the quad before, which would be India, Australia, America, and, oh my goodness, I forgot the fourth of the quad, probably the U.K., I believe. Um, Oh, Japan, excuse me, Japan, the quad. There's the quad that is pressing up against China. And we, we've talked about this with the Belt and Road, that China, that initiative of establishing trade and economic dominance across the globe, which is what a lot of the, the conflict that is happening right now in the South Pacific, I guess it would be the, the Indo-Pacific. It has to do with the Belt and Road. It has to do with trade routes because those trade routes means power. So America is beginning to shift away from the Middle East and to this rise and looming power of China, which it still would stand in my, in my calculations. As I have said, why are you pulling out of Afghanistan and giving these military assets to China? Why don't you keep a, a, a base there in Afghanistan to be able to, in the event that you do go to war with China, heaven forbid, that you have a, a, a strategic stronghold. You want to have a relationship with that government. It's not an occupation. It's not an occupying force, but it's a relationship where you can maintain an airbase, a strategic airbase to act as a 
as a counterpoint to China's ever-growing force. Well, as this, as this WION clip has mentioned multiple times that they're focusing to China, there's breaking news coming out today of Australia and America coming, uh, making a, a trilateral, tri, it's being called a trilateral security partnership that's involving the U.S., the U.K., and Australia to, to advance their defense capabilities in the Indo-Pacific. This is why they're pulling those batteries out, to build up their defense systems in the Indo-Pacific as their growing threats. One being North Korea. It has been a growing threat. It, it, it is a growing threat. They have launched a, a number of missiles that have struck their targets. And they have been emboldened, even in the last few days, of launching two missiles towards Japan. But it seems that it's, it's more, it's far more than just North Korea. It is China, and Taiwan is in that mix, of course. But here is Sky News Australia with a breaking report. Several federal cabinet ministers have been granted border exemptions to fly to Canberra in order to attend an urgent top-secret meeting. Defence Minister Peter Dutton and Foreign Affairs Minister Maurice Payne, who are currently in Washington for a series of meetings, are said to have joined via video link. Opposition leader Anthony Albanese and three other senior shadow ministers were also briefed on the highly sensitive matter. The PM is expected to address the nation at 7am Australian Eastern Standard Time. At the same time, US President Joe Biden is set to make a national security announcement involving Australia. A national security announcement. There it is. We got to end one endless war. Why? Ah, to start another endless war, a, a real, a real war. Not that Afghanistan wasn't a real war, but I'm, I'm talking about a, a world war. This is what they're, they're looking at. They're looking at creating an alliance to defend against what could be a world war uh, with China's growing ambitions globally. Now, I, I love China. I've been there. It's an amazing place, amazing people, amazing food. Uh, I pray to God that we don't see a world war with China, but they do have aspirations. They do have those aspirations. So we don't know the exact news. And by the time this episode is out, this press conference will, will have been done. I'm sure um, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how many questions President Biden answers. But it does seem it's pointing to this trilateral security group between the United States, the UK, and Australia to, to defend the Indo-Pacific region against China. Well, the, the, the woke are eating their own, and that leads us to our next segment. Yeah, that makes sense. In a post-truth society where we have exchanged the truth for lies and reason for post-modern irrationality, the absurd finally makes sense. And what is more absurd than AOC at the gala Wearing a thirty, uh, wearing a thousand—I uh, don't know how much the dress was. I think it was a three thousand dollars dress. But a plate at the gala cost thirty thousand dollars. Now there have been multiple reports and posts and memes 
all about about this dress that AOC was wearing at the gala that had taxed the rich on its back. Here is a a clip of AOC being interviewed by these poor ladies. I, I mean, the acting job is really pretty flat by these uh, announcers at the gala. Here's uh, AOC wearing her her new dress. My God, tax the rich. What a model, AOC. What up? I didn't know you model as well. Damn. <laughs> I didn't know you model as well. Uh, it's just, it just feels so, so fake, so staged. Obviously, the, the irony is deep that she's wearing like, thousands of dollars of clothes. I think her shoes were like $630. And which I, have, I have no problem with someone wearing $1,000 pairs of shoes. I have no problem with someone wearing a $10,000 suit or a $12,000 dress. I have no issue with any of that. It's like, awesome. That's great that you have the ability to afford that. The, the deep irony comes in when she wears a dress that says tax the rich at a rich person event when she is among the rich. That is the deep irony of the here she is, a self-proclaimed socialist that doesn't seem to think that the socialistic ideals apply to her. They don't apply to her. They just apply to everyone else. Uh, but this is where the reason that I actually decided to bring this segment on the show is not because of saying what everyone else has already said about this dress and the hypocrisy and the irony of it all. But because of the left's response, there's a, a, a someone shared this post, and this is by the Lee Camp, who is a comedian, American comedian, leftist, Marxist comedian, and he wrote this. And this is where this is where I think it's just the woke eating their own. You can never be progressive and leftist enough in this world. It's just never enough. Yeah, I'm not going to read all of his series of tweets, but this is a series of tweets, and I'm going to read some of it, most of it. It says, AOC is getting a lot of credit and criticism for wearing a dress that said tax the rich at Meet the Gala, full of some of the richest people in the world. And he goes on to, to say, the problem here is that even AOC's critics that AOC's critics don't seem to be talking about is tax the rich is already a weak compromised position. You could say tax the rich at 50% and they'd still be destroying the planet, destroying people's lives and committing to endless war crimes. Okay, if obviously there are some rich globalists who are working to control everything in the planet and really are destroying people's lives, but most Rich people who are making millions of dollars a year or billions of dollars a year. All of our lives have been enriched by these people. The fact that you're listening to this is evidence that your life has been enriched by the rich billionaires who built companies to help your life. But, but no, this, you just, they, can't, they can't see this. They can't understand this on the left. Because their ideas, their ideals, their world is one of socialism and capitalism and or socialism and uh, communism, excuse me, 
where capitalism is the devil, where, where private property is horrible. He goes on to say, Elon Musk would still be worth $100 billion. He'd, he'd be using to implant microchips into day laborers and sending them off to space. Taxing the rich is a little band-aid on the situation of our capitalistic death spiral. It's a capitalistic death spiral, kids. AOC might have well worn a dress that be, with bedazzling words that said, slow, moderate centrism. How edgy. If AOC is considered the most left-wing congressperson in the world, the way mainstream media acts, then true left-wing politics is already admitting defeat. Then he says this. Her dress should have said, attack the rich, abolish property, end capitalism. Every negotiator knows you don't start with the compromise position. If someone says they're going to steal all your stuff, you don't respond with, how about you steal 95% of my stuff? You start with, go F off. He goes on. Just, just crude and crass and just goes on. To, to essentially say that she didn't go far enough. Don't start with how can we moderately tax capital gains at a level that's slightly higher than it was in the mid-90s? Please, Walmart, Mr. Bill Gates, this isn't, that's, that's about as revolutionary as diluted, unsweetened cashew milk. That's how he ends it. The, the reason I bring this up is because it's never enough. The woke eat their own. And this is where this is where this leftist it's not even liberal. It's it's definitely not liberal. It is leftist progressivism where it is never enough. They their idea, their dream is to abolish private property, is to abolish capitalism, is to set up a capitalistic society. And here is AOC as hypocritical and as really her her leftist ideas of uh, uh, the Green New Deal and the way that she wants to recreate society as a whole into the image of Marx. If that's not leftist enough, then, you know, the rest of us don't have a chance. And this is, the, the, this is where it becomes so absurd and irrational that in these movements, those people who are fighting and championing the, the movement of the left and progressivism, probably much more than most people are, they are then being railroaded by not being progressive enough, by not being committed enough to the cause. Well, this show is brought to you by listeners like you. You are, you are precious to me, and there are thousands of other people just like you that tune into this show every month. So I want to say thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for tuning in. This show does not run mega ads. This is a value for value podcast and we are sustained by viewers and listeners like you giving value in the value that they received from this podcast. And you can do that by visiting lucasscrobot.com and giving your hard, cold fiat. Or if you like Bitcoin and you want to be creative, you can download a pod, podcast, a podcast 2.0 certified app where you can stream Bitcoin on apps like Breeze or Sphinx or Podfriend, where 
with every little minute you can stream a Satoshi or two to support the show that way. Don't go away. We will be right back with our closing Weaver and Loom segment. Welcome back to Weaver and Loom, a part of the show where we take ancient wisdom and we weave it in with our everyday lives so that we can own our future and weave our destiny. The Weaver and the Loom, it signifies often in mythology, in ancient stories or ancient texts. A, a weaver is often symbolizing fate and its loom is the, the, the narrative of mankind that they weave on. And it's the, the, often a woman who's weaving at the loom is able to cut someone's string and cut someone's life off the, off the loom, disconnect them from the course of history. And what I love about the, the imagery that a weaver at its loom and tying that into our destiny and our purpose and who we are is that each little knot, you and I, you and I are just one little knot in the loom of history, in the epochs of time. And we're just one little, one little pixel in the, in the screen or in the rug of history. And that encourages me because it makes me know that I'm part of a lineage. I'm a part of a heritage that it goes in part of something so much greater than just me and you are too. And we can look behind and we can look forward to the future, knowing that what we, with the knot that we make really does affect the great tapestry of history. And more importantly, the people that we influence and pour into those people, those individuals are also knots on the loom of history that we can impact for the good, for the better. Today's Weaver and Loom quote, it comes from me, but before we get into the quote, I, I, was, I found this series of images from a, a dear friend of mine on Instagram. Sparky is his name. His, his, that's actually his name, um, name that he goes by. But he sent this, this series of, posted this series of, of images on Instagram. The first one is, if, if you're looking on your, your podcast certified 2.0 app with, that enables chapters, you'll see the pictures right now changing on your phone. So you can open your phone and look at this right now as you're listening to the audio-only version of the podcast and not a video version of it. But you'd see a, a picture of a few bricks just stacked up. And that's often how I feel. I feel like my life and my work, it's just a couple bricks, just a couple bricks stacked up. And I'm left wondering, what all will this amount to? Well, the next image, it zooms out a little bit and you begin to see, oh, it's, a, it's more of a pile of bricks. There's you know, a couple hundred bricks that have been stacked up uh, next to each other. Next image, it zooms out a little bit more and you begin to realize, oh, wait a minute, this is a large pile of bricks. It looks like this might actually be a, a pyramid. Zooms out again and you begin to see the whole image of one of the great wonders of the world, the pyramids in Egypt. And it brought me to the point that my friend Sparky was making was that if you change your perspective, if you wait a little and let you, your perspective expand, you can see that you're a part of something much bigger. And the small, the things that seem small actually have a much greater significance. But I brought it back to uh, 
things that I talk about in my book, Anchored, The Discipline to Stop Drifting, I have a, that, that I wrote a number of years ago. And in that book, I talk about how great things happen through small steps over time. This is not a, a brilliantly fascinating new idea, but it is true that great things happen through laying brick by brick, small steps, small action over time. And we should not despise those days as small beginnings. But if we remain faithful, if we do not grow weary in the purpose that we've been called to, in, in the good that we've been called to do, that in good, in due time, we will reap a harvest. We will see the reward of our work. We will, at, maybe it's at the end of time, we'll look back and we'll, we'll see the couple of knots that we were able to weave on the tapestry of history, the purpose that our small lives, our lives are but a breath and, and a, a vapor. We're here today and gone tomorrow. And more often than not, our lives really are just these ones and two bricks. But when we add them together, they really do make something much bigger. So go out this week and not only don't just be a brick, but those bricks of the pyramids are only significant when they are connected with other people. So I would encourage you, one way that you can get more value out of the show is by sharing this show with your friends. Text them, text one or two people. Sharing on social media platforms are great, but when someone shares something on a social media platform, I'm not running to go and listen to something, but when my friends send me something personally, I feel loved, I feel cared for, it makes me like them better. So send this episode to a colleague, a worker, coworker, a spouse, or you can even just talk about them, these, these ideas, and you will come away with a sharper knowledge of the world and more art articulate and being able to understand what is happening in the world. Anyways, I've belabored this point far too long. Go out this week and own the future. Go out this week and discern what is happening in the world around you so that you can uncover your purpose. Because if we can see the lay of the land, we'll be able to walk in it rightly. And that is what enables us to own our future. <laughs>